I'm Heidi Harris. Welcome to the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can subscribe to these for free at iTunes by searching Heidi Harris Show. You can also find my live radio show five days a week, 6 to 9 a.m. on KMZQ in Las Vegas. If you forget all that, just go to HeidiHarris.com. It's all clearly listed there. A couple of months ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I had a little time, and I was able to take a tour of the Library of Congress, which I had not been to before. Interestingly, coincidentally, the man who was leading the tour and I got to chit-chatting after the group had kind of dispersed, and it turns out he's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University, very involved in veterans affairs. He'd recently written a book. He sent it to me. I read it, and I really wanted to talk to him because he's a fascinating man. His name is Dr. Edward Beal. Welcome to the Heidi Harris Show, sir. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. So one of the things that struck me about your book was the fact that, and I just had not even thought of this, in prior wars, you say in your book, 75% of us had an immediate family member in uniform. When you think of wars past, even going back to the Civil War or even Vietnam or things like that. Now, so few people even have somebody involved in the military. And we hear a lot about veterans, so you don't understand how small that number is. I was really stunned when I read your book about that. Yes, that's right. It's only 1% of the people uh, in our nation who are actually going off to uh, fight wars and defend the country. And if you think about that, they are um, protecting the inalienable rights that we have in the Declaration of Independence. And 99% of us are just enjoying those rights, but not taking any responsibility for making sure they're enforced. Wow, it's so true. And it's so interesting, too, because when you don't have the entire country as involved firsthand as in previous wars, then people kind of, I guess they have a hands-off approach, like, oh, someone else is doing this, we'll let somebody else worry about this, and let somebody else worry about the veterans and their problems. That's true, and I think as a result of that, I mean, they're really fighting in place of us so that we owe them uh, certainly a moral obligation for having done that, but uh, even if people don't feel a moral obligation, it's a, it's a financial obligation, too, because we're spending um, more than a billion dollars a year uh, financing the war, and if you had a billion dollars in your investment account, you'd certainly want to pay attention to it, and we're spending that kind of money, and we're not paying much attention to what's happening to them. Yeah, one of the things that has changed a lot over the last uh, 10, 20 years is the number of people we're able to save that we used to n not be able to save. They would have died on the battlefield. Talk a little bit about that. Well, most people in previous wars died of physical injuries um, and they, because we just simply couldn't get them back to a base where they could be treated. But now, if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq and you're ser seriously injured, I mean, if you've lost a leg or an arm, et cetera, you can be returned to a, to a base in Germany, and um, most people are saved. And so because we've developed such skill um, for physical injuries, we now people get back uh, who are more physically traumatized uh, and survive well, but they are mentally traumatized, and we're not nearly as attentive to those kinds of traumas. And there's a, certainly a substantial more of them are being um, mentally traumatized and even spiritually traumatized. I mean, the whole issue of killing somebody is um, is not easy to, to manage, especially when you come back into a society where uh, 
killing people is not really condoned. It's an interesting point. We're speaking with Dr. Ted Beal. He's the clinical professor of psychiatry. His brand new book is called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers. It's an interesting point because even if you feel justified to kill somebody because they're going to kill your other men or women in the battlefield or whatever it might be, you feel at the moment you did what you had to do. It's still very difficult to take a life. I don't care who it is. And a lot of people right. have flashbacks and nightmares about these kinds of things. I, I can tell you an experience recently. Um, I was watching TV in a public space, and uh, the, the announcers were talking about this uh, Iranian uh, general who was killed. And I noticed the gentleman next to me was paying a lot of attention to it. So I started asking him a little bit about it. Before long, he was telling me he was a Vietnam veteran, and he was in circumstances in which he was going to be killed, and he, he killed the two people. And he looked me straight in the eye. He had tears in his eyes, and he said, even though it was justified, I still feel like I murdered these people, and it atrophies my soul. Mm, that's that so gives tough. You some idea of how how much people suffer from this stuff. That is tough. Are we not preparing them for the possibility of that happening on a on a national level or in the military level? Or where do you think the failure is? Or is it just the fact that we're decent people and nobody likes killing somebody? Well, I. You know, you can train and train and train for war, but uh, there are very few people who suddenly experience themselves in a battle and say, I'm prepared for this. It's just, it's a frightening experience, and um, it's, I think most of us, it's difficult to kill somebody. I can't even imagine. We're speaking with Dr. Ted Beale. He's the clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine. He's got a new book out. It's called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers. So how long have you been working with these soldiers? Well, I, I worked almost uh, eight years, and uh, I think I saw probably up to 5,000 interviews. Many of these soldiers were over and over again. Um, and so... As a result of it, and listening to these stories, I, I have to come home and talk to my wife about it, and she said, well, you know, I'll write some of this down. And so I did, and people got interested, and then I wrote a few more stories, and um, people were kind enough to publish them. And after I'd done 30 or 40 of them, somebody said, put them in a book. And I found that not only was it helpful for me to talk about it, but the soldiers themselves would write stories and share their stories with one another. And it's a very effective way of kind of coming to grips with and metabolizing and, and normalizing the experience by sharing it with people. I think it is important for people to feel as if they're not alone because there's a lot of, when you come back from war, you're just not supposed to whine about it. Right, you're supposed to just move on. Uh, you know, if you have to be hospitalized, you get hospitalized. You get on with it. You just get back into society. And if you admit that you've got any kind of night terrors or any kind of lingering problems, some people perceive that not necessarily the, everybody in society, but there are other soldiers sometimes who perceive that as weak, or maybe your family doesn't want to hear about it or whatever. How do people make that transition? Talk a little bit about that. Well, I, it, it's, a, it's a difficult transition, and there's a sort of an ethos in the Army, you know, that we, um, we're supposed to, quote, man up and take it, no matter whether you're a man or a woman. But I think now people are starting to talk more about it. Uh, you even have uh, field-grade officers, generals, who are willing to talk about the, the difficulty. Um, and I, I think some trauma is just so severe that it, it can't be managed on an individual level. And so it, it has to be collectively experienced and shared um, 
with the public. And unfortunately, you know, we're really not um, we're not really geared to talk about it. I, I can tell you about a story when I went into Walter Reed, a colleague of mine was sitting with a um, triple amputee and, a, and somebody with a single amputee, and, and he was smiling and laughing. And then uh, he said, "What are you? Why are you laughing?" And he said, "Well." I've just been interviewed by a bunch of people from Congress for the multiple times, and um, they say, thank you for your service. And I say to them, don't thank me for my service. Thank me for my um, – I'm conflicted about my service. Thank me for the sacrifice I made. You can see that. And he says people just turn around and walk out because they don't have any idea how to talk to me. And so I think that – we have to learn how to talk to people about it. And I'm amazed that when you ask servicemen who are obviously impaired, I mean, they don't have an arm, or they're happy to talk to you about it. Um, I mean, I was standing in an elevator one time, and a, a guy who was quadriplegic, lost all his limbs, his tools up in his wheelchair, and the elevator opens. And he looks at me, and he says, after you, sir. Well, I mean, you, you don't have to have too many experiences like that to begin to realize what amazing people these these guys are, and how much they've sacrificed, and they know they know their details. They're willing to, you know, if they're the only triple amputee in this particular branch, they're willing to talk to you about it. They're willing to talk about how they uh, have rehabilitated themselves, how they've reintegrated into life. It's really inspiring um, for civilians to, to learn about that. Yeah, so incredible. I'm saying the opposite of what we do in civilian life. We avoid that. You can. Servicemen are willing to talk about it if you're sincere about hearing it. Yeah, that's true. So, now, what do you think needs to be done for veterans in this case to, to prepare them better or to take better care of them in the end? Well, I think we have to be clear about what wars are important to fight, and I think servicemen are perfectly willing to dedicate themselves for things that are clearly we ought to be doing. Uh, I think we have to probably have more money to um, support them when they return. We have to have better uh, medical and surgical facilities. And I think the public needs to be more involved in understanding what happens, and they have to be more involved in, you know, why we go to war and what the costs are. And it has to be something everybody in the country experiences not just the 1% who, who are doing all the work for us. That's so important. We're speaking with Dr. Ted Beal. His book is called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers, and he dealt with these folks firsthand. You know, you, you hear about World War One, and obviously 1917 is a big movie. Now, I've not seen it yet, but I hear it's great. I just watched a movie called The Somme the other day. It was all about uh, World War One, and certainly read a lot of books on it, that kind of thing. We hear about shell shock. That was a big thing we, we were told about back then. And people came home, as you said, and a lot of folks knew somebody in the military, and that's different. Today, talk a little bit about how shell shock differed from what we see today. Well, I'm not sure that it's specifically any uh, different. I think it. it uh, I don't think we really understood exactly what was happening. We knew that people came back and they were somewhat different, and they had dreams and nightmares and things like that. Now we're much more uh, clear about what actually happens and the kind of. Um, distortions that occur in the brain and, and how the brain responds, you know, to the trauma, even whether you can have any willpower or not. And there are a lot of things we can do. I mean, uh, there are medications now for nightmares so that you can um, uh, ameliorate or make better people's nightmares. And it's, 
I tell you, as a physician, it, when somebody comes in with nightmares and they can't sleep, um, they think they're being attacked or their house is being attacked, and you can do something about that. I mean, it, it, it's, there's not only great satisfaction for you, but for the for the soldier himself. We're speaking with Dr. Ted Beal. His new book is called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers, and it's he's got some great stories in here that aren't uh, you know entertaining. I don't mean it that way, but they're really important for people to read. Talk a little bit about what happens when you go off to war. You know, you get married. Maybe you've been married a year or two, three. You go off to war. You come back. You're a completely changed person, whether you're the husband or the wife. Talk about the effect that you see that this has on everybody. Well, you you, you really. You know, you you have communication when you're there, and you can talk on the phone a bit. You can't give all the details, of course, but when you come back, you're just thrust into society immediately. You know, in World War Two, World War One, you came back on a ship. You came back with your buddies, the same people you were deployed with. You had time to talk about it. Now you get on a plane, and the next day you're home, and you're you're back with your family. And uh, you know you're you're off to the shopping center, and it's just a a world that uh, very difficult to adjust to. For example, um, loud sounds, uh, firecrackers on the Fourth of July. Um, soldiers misidentify those kinds of things frequently as uh, as an attack. Um, there's soldiers who hear noises at night. They wake up. They get their family and kids down in the basement because they think their house is being attacked. You know, I've had kids say to their father, Dad, Dad, it's really okay, you know, but he's got his gun out. It's just a very difficult adjustment. And the soldiers generally don't want to tell their family because they they know it will be traumatizing to them, so they avoid t- telling them. And then they bottle it up in themselves. They worry that they've done something wrong. And it's kind of a vicious circle of secrecy. And that's why it's really, really, really important um, for them to talk about. I can tell you one soldier told me that he he was really embarrassed because when he went to cocktail parties, he would hallucinate the smell of rotting flesh, and he was so embarrassed by it, and he thought he was going crazy. And when we went over his circus records, we found out that he'd been in Bosnia, and he'd uncovered a, a gravesite of 10,000 bodies, and his job was with, with other people to identify those things and take them out and and this hallucination he had was just triggered by being around people and the first thing i said to him was you've got to talk to your wife about it and he thought it was crazy but he went back and he talked to his wife and the more he could tell people about the experience the more it kind of normalized it. he realized it wasn't really crazy and it got better yeah, that's a very. So tra- we have to be willing to listen to these things. Yeah, that's a very traumatizing event, obviously. And even just if if you don't even deal with something like that necessarily, even just the state of hyper vigilance that someone has to maintain on the battlefield, that alone has got to be a heck of an adjustment to make. It is, and and you can get PTSD by proxy. They talk about it too. I mean, I found after listening to these stories, and I would drive home in my car. I mean, if somebody got too close to me on the other lane, or somebody honked. I would almost lose control of my car because I was so jumpy. And, you know, it clearly was not something I personally experienced, the trauma, but just listening to it. 
It's just so hard because I think most Americans uh, clearly respect what the veterans do for us, but we some people don't know what to do, and some people just, you know, there are people who don't care, but I think the most of us, we just want to be able to help. We're just not sure. So I would imagine that things like obviously seeking mental health help is, is an issue, probably also getting into some kind of group discussions. Would, would that help people? Does that help people? I, yeah, I think the group, I, the group help is very good because um, – we tend to think that our experience is unique and abnormal, and once you get into a group, you realize other people have the same experience, and it's not abnormal. And you can seek forgiveness from one another. It's really important to understand that people did things that they had to do, and they they want to normalize it, and they want to seek forgiveness for it. So it's, it's important for us to, to ask people about what they did, where they were, were they deployed? Uh, what kind of job they had? Was their training appropriate for the job? How long they were gone? All those kinds of things that, um, that getting to know a person helps them feel a part of our community. And, um, I mean, even random act of kindness with soldiers. You know, if you happen to be at McDonald's or a gas station with one of them, you might want to pick up their tab or pay for their gas bill or something yep. without letting them know who they are just so that they know that they're... Um, they're wanted. Yeah, I've actually done that. <laughs> and I think I, I think it's important because uh, we, I do too. We all need to we all need to show them we can't just, you know, cheer them on Veterans Day and go thanks for your service and the rest of yeah. the year just ignore them yeah. and that's unfortunately a lot of what's happening. Beyond saying thank you for your service, I think you really should say thank you for your sacrifice because these people they really sacrificed. They sacrificed in many times, certainly time with their families, possibly physical problems, uh, possibly uh, emotional or mental problems. Yes, yeah, a huge sacrifice. And you know what? That is a great way to put it instead of saying your service because we make it sound like, oh, I showed up in uniform, came back home, no big deal. We know better. And that's the important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Ted Beal, clinical professor of psychiatry, Georgetown University School of Medicine. Great book. It's called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers. I suggest if you know somebody who's a veteran, if you're interested in veterans affairs, I suggest you read this book uh, or pass it on to a veteran because knowing you're not alone, knowing you're not crazy, knowing you're not the only one who feels this way is really important. And obviously getting the help you need is extremely important. Dr. Beal, it was such a pleasure meeting you back in D.C. And what a pleasure and what a privilege to talk to you today, and this book is so important. It was a pleasure to be here, and I hope it's uh, effective in helping our soldiers. Thank you. Now, where can people get it? Amazon, places like that? Amazon, your local bookstore. You can go to edwardbeal.com. Okay, edwardbeal.com. It's called War Stories from the Forgotten Soldiers. Thank you so much, Ted. Great talking to you. Appreciate what you're doing, and uh, I, I love what you try, the, the way you're trying to help our soldiers. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget you can find my live radio show five days a week, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on AM 670 KMZQ. If you don't remember that, go to HeidiHarris.com. I'm also on Facebook, Heidi Harris Show, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, Heidi Harris Show. And you can subscribe to these podcasts for free, of course. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. Scottwell.